Welcome to St. James Lutheran Church in the name of Jesus Christ. My name is Joel Hess, and I pray that you are blessed by today's message with faith in Christ, who is our life. If you'd like to support the mission of God here in Chicago, go to stjames-lutheran.org. Let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. In the name of Jesus, amen. You know, I think uh, when we hear that uh, phrase, uh, immediately we just have sort of angelic images in our head, little pleasant kids and Jesus. You probably see these cheesy paintings. Uh, thank, good, thank God we don't have any here in the, in the stained glass where there's calm and laughing Jesus and all these little kids on his lap and everyone's laughing and, and happy. Um, that's what we think of, right? Little children. I, I don't, it's weird because I was looking up stuff, or we were all looking up stuff to put for our bulletin, and I saw this, and I'm like, this actually is more what your image should be when you think of Jesus saying, let the little children come. These little children, who's not innocent, he's not cute, I mean, it's kind of cute, really, you know, he's got a birthday hat on, but not being nice, not good. I see these insane memes sometimes, uh, um, the ones that are like, uh, um, love is natural, hate is taught. No, that's absolutely not true. It's illogical, not empirical, and uh, not evident if you have kids. You have kids, and you hang out with them more than like five minutes, by the way. I'm not talking about you walk by, oh, cute kid. But you live with them, right? Even at this age. Ugh, my kid's evil, I think. Why is he crying at the birthday party? What possibly is wrong with the child? And you know darn well the parents are not like, oh, it's so cute. In this picture, they're like, please stop crying. So when Jesus says, let the little children come to me, he's talking about these kids, not little angels. Remember this when Jesus says this. He's not admiring their naivety. Definitely not saying they're innocent, be innocent. Because later on, Jesus says what? I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child, is it going to enter it? Okay, we better figure out how to be a kid. Well, this is what he's talking about, this picture. Are you like this? Anybody like this sometimes, grown adults? I am. Ask my wife. Even at my birthday parties, by the way, I've done this. Anyhow, I'm a sinner. The lesson today on let the little children come to me is amazingly connected to something that at first looks absolutely the opposite of the message Jesus is saying here with the little children. What happens before? We read it today in today's gospel lesson. And if you look at it, you'll think that this is just you know, a weird juxtaposition. doesn't make any sense. But I tell you, it really does. In fact, whenever you're reading the Bible, remember this, it's not just a bunch of aphorisms. You don't just take one line and try to figure out what it means. Always connect sentences, situations, context. Who's Jesus talking to? Who is he not talking to? This informs what the meaning is. And even in the text, there's a reason why Mark 
hits, puts this event after this event. Sometimes it really actually happens chronologically like that, and Jesus means to send a message by connecting one event to the other. And sometimes the writer, like Mark, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is making some connections for you. And today we get a juxtaposition of two teachings that seem absolutely the opposite, but I would say they're beautifully put together. Look at chapter 10 before he talks about the little kids. And he loves little kids, by the way. It's not just one illustration. He uses them for illustrations all the time. So you better get your brain around what in the world is he talking about because he's constantly using them as an illustration. So chapter 10 starts out like this before he even gets to this point. He left wherever he was and goes to the region of Judea. So this is down toward the center of all things Jerusalem. And he's beyond the Jordan, like the, near the capital city of Jerusalem, and crowds are gathering to Jesus again. And again, as was his custom, he's teaching. About what? About how God works. That's what his teaching always is. This is how God works. And it's usually surprising as to compare to how you think God works, all right? So he's teaching everybody there. Well, the Pharisees come up. They're in Jerusalem, and they need to investigate because they are the teachers of Israel, righteousness, and the Bible. They were seen as the authority of right and wrong and what God thinks, and they were put in that position. They worked at the synagogues throughout the country of Israel, and they were in the Sanhedrin, which was the, the leadership of all of Israel. And so they would decide major laws out of God's Word, or people would come to them and say, uh, I think I said this before, you know, I like to mow my lawn, it's Friday at 5 p.m., is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. They would make judgments. They were lawyers. So Jesus is teaching, and people are flocking to Jesus, and they're not listening to the Pharisees as much anymore, and they're a little concerned. And they need to figure out, is he, is he good? Is he on our side? And at this point, they probably hated him, because he was kind of making fun of them all the time. And uh, so they sent people to investigate. They wanted to trap him. What does Mark say? They came up in order to test him. So that gives you context right away in terms of what Jesus is about to say. The Pharisees are testing Jesus. This is not just a neutral conversation. They're not interested in truth. They want him to screw up. And they do this a lot. They'll go to Jesus and ask him questions that are hot topics that are probably being argued about because they want him to take a side and then lose half his audience. And today, I got a great illustration of what, what a Pharisee would ask of Jesus today. What do you think it would be? Like today, today's hot topics. Hey Jesus, uh, what do you think about the vaccine mandates? That's right. Because like you say, you don't like them, well you're gonna lose half the people, or you're gonna say, I'm all for them, you're going to lose half the people. If, if I said this, if I started preaching on vaccine mandates right now, some of you would probably leave. No, I don't care about vaccine mandates. God doesn't either, by the way. Anyhow, that's the kind of questions. But this is the question they had. They would have been lucky to have a vaccine, by the way, for a lot of things. Okay, I'm done. All right. Is it lawful? This is still a hot topic. I get asked this all the time. 
Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? It's a good one, isn't it? As a pastor, we get this frequently. And it's not like, pastor, could I divorce her now? No, that's not what it is. But it's usually like, we've been working hard. It doesn't, it's not working. She did, the, he did this, and I just can't forgive. I've been trying, pastor, can we get a divorce? I've had that. Or people that are, are divorced, and we have them here at St. James. And people will come and say, is that okay? You know what I mean? Like, just trying to excuse it and rationalize it, and with good reasons, too. He, he, he left the marriage. He was a jerk or v- vice versa. But it's a good question. When can you get a divorce? Look what Jesus says. And remember, the Pharisees are not interested in divorce per se. They want Jesus to screw up. Jesus responds like he always does. This is what he says. Well, what did Moses command you? In other words, you know. I love how he does this. He's like, you know. You're trying to test me, but you know the right answer to this. And they said, Moses allowed a man to write a certificate, you know, in other words, go through the courts and get a divorce. And, and uh, he allowed this to send her on her way. And Jesus said to them, listen to what Jesus says. And this is all a true story, by the way. Moses does say, okay, if you have to get a divorce, do this. Jesus says, that's because of your hardness of heart he wrote you the commandment. In other words, there's no other way to exist in society. You, you, you guys don't get along. You're terrible to one another. She screwed up. You screwed up. It can't be fixed. It's crazy. And just so we can exist as a society, we need to do this divorce thing because you can't live together. You're going to kill each other. Does that make sense? But then Jesus says this, but don't be thinking that makes you righteous or it's okay. From the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. Therefore, a man shall leave his father. He's reciting Genesis. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh, which is very important for marriage. It's not a business partnership. It's not a political tangle trying to figure out who's in charge, who's not. It doesn't even talk about that. It's one person. And this is before the fall. And the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer two, but one person. So it's not just a legal situation, but you are connected in the soul, in the brain, as a married, uh, as two people. And then he says this, therefore, what God has joined together, let no man put asunder. In other words, there is no reason for divorce. It's wrong, period. And in the house, the disciples ask him again because they really wonder. Like, it's funny because it's like, dudes, why are you guys so concerned about getting, are you thinking about divorcing your wives? And he says this, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery. He's harsh. No excuse. They were looking for a smart, clever loophole that Jesus might have as to why divorce in some situations is okay. And Jesus says, it is not. He doesn't even tell What he does in Matthew, he says something like, um, it's only okay if the spouse commits adultery. But that's not really really a reason. If your spouse leaves your marriage, you divorcing them, that's 
you're not really divorced. They already divorced you. They've already sinned and killed your marriage. Does that make sense? So there's no exception. I would say there's no exception. You're supposed to be together, and it falls apart. It's a sin. That's Jesus. Now, Jesus does this all the time. He does this with uh, murder when he's talking to the Pharisees. And he's like, you hate your brother? You're a murderer. He does this with uh, adultery. Oh, you say you've never committed adultery, yet you looked at that person? You're staring, you're thinking about, you're, a, you're an adulteress. Jesus does this all the time. No room for rationalization or excuse. Well, he did this or she did this. I just fell in love with somebody else. No excuse according to Christ. And I would say empirical, legal, it's just obvious. You're the problem. Why is Jesus doing this? What's the goal of the Pharisees? They live by the law, and therefore they need, in order to exist, rationalizations for their behavior. Does that make sense? To be righteous in God's eyes, because they're not, and therefore they need to be able to have different reasons for doing what they're doing, to justify their actions because they live under their law and by the weight of their own righteousness in order to stand before God. They can't just have Jesus slam the book down and say, that's a sin, that's a sin. They have to have little room for okaying any behavior. And we all do this. We all try to find reasons for why we did something. Well, I wouldn't have done that if that person wouldn't have pushed at me. I had to steal that. I had to, ju- I had to walk all over that guy in order to get ahead of my job. Got to take, fa- take care of my family. We have all kinds of reasons. What? These desires I have, God, you gave them to me. All sorts of reasons in order to justify our behavior. Or we scour God's word to find little areas where we can okay something that we know is wrong. And Jesus slams it all down. And in this case, with divorce, there is no reason you sin when you get a divorce, period. And the funny thing is, is like, (laughs) you did. It's not good. There's nothing good. These guys are trying to make something bad good. It's not good. There's not even a good divorce, like it had to happen, like the guy beat or whatever, like a terrible thing, and she has every right to, she can't be with him, or vice versa. Even then, it's not good. You think the kid's like this? It's a, it's a state of brokenness and hurt. Most divorces are because both persons were just being jerks to one another. It's not good. It might be the only solution to keep on living for sure. But you don't need to justify it. But we do, don't we? And we do this in every sin. Because Jesus is not talking about divorce per se. He's not giving new rules for divorce. It's a sin. What's the solution to sin? See? What's the solution to sin? For the Pharisees, it was to verbally manipulate, legally manipulate it so it no longer is. But the solution for sin is Jesus. It's Jesus. It's not your excuses. It's not loopholes in the law. You can let that judgment stand. You screwed up. 
and that's okay because Jesus died for you. And that's why after this episode, Mark shows us this another event. They were bringing children to him that he might touch them, and the disciples rebuked them. Why? Because this is the time for smart, strong, righteous people, not helpless, vulnerable, can't, they can't contribute anything to society or the conversation. Come on, this is big boy time, so they thought, right? And Jesus gets mad when he sees them telling the moms to take their kids away. He gets indignant. He says to them, let the little children come to me. Don't hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Why does he say that? These people are weak. These people are helpless. These people don't have righteousness. They can't concoct all these different reasons for why they do stuff. That's who Jesus came for. Christ came for the divorcee. They can't make up reasons for why it happened, it happened. That's who Jesus came for. People that are in a helpless situation, people that break things, babies that look like this. That's what Jesus means when he says, you must become like a little child to enter the kingdom of heaven. It doesn't mean cute and cuddly. It means recognize your weak vulnerable, can't contribute anything to the conversation, all you can do is just hope that someone rescues you. Whether you're a baby brought to the waters of baptism like Sydney, whether you're someone who just came out of divorce and you know that you screwed up, whether you're someone that uh, totally messed up their life, whatever that sin is, whether you're struggling with the sin and you feel helpless because of your passions and you don't know if you'll ever be delivered of them, you keep on screwing up, that's who Jesus came for. The D4C, the murderer, the liar, the gossip, the greedy, the stingy, you and me. It's okay to admit you screwed up. It's okay to admit you sin. You don't have to rationalize it before God. You're standing for the one that died specifically for you and rose again and gives you absolute pardon and hope in that resurrection. Let the little children come to me, include you and me for such is the kingdom of heaven. In Jesus' name, amen.